0: how healthcare.gov had had followed basically a strict waterfall model. And and waterfall is is kind of this derogatory name applied for, for how people used to design software in the 70s. Welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business, we interview the experts with ideas and strategies you can implement today. Now here's your host, Paul Clifford.
1: Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. This is the show for entrepreneurs who are either just starting out or those who already have a software company and are looking for techniques and ideas for massively scaling their business. And the way we do that is to interview experts in the market who are already running their software company. And whatever level they are at, they have great content to share. And we dig deep to get factual experiences that you can put into action right now. So let's get on with our guest today. Okay, on today's show, I want to introduce someone called Paul Bigger, who... Uh, is the founder of CircleCI. This is a San Francisco startup that um, is all about something called continuous integration and continuous delivery. And they've just closed a $6 million Series A funding round. And i have got a great story to tell. So let's get on with the show. Let me introduce you to Paul.
0: Uh, hey, Paul. How are you?
1: Yeah, very well. Thanks. Very well. So, um, you know, I've been you know looking at your business. and really excited to get you on the show. You know, for the benefits, you know, of our audience, um, who you know are both software entrepreneurs but also technical people, perhaps you can just give an overview, you know, of um, of what your your solution is.
0: Sure. So, um, the the CI in in Circle CI is is as I say, continuous integration, and the um, basically software teams uh, use continuous integration to to make sure that um, they, they move quickly. Um, and, and that their code is always tested as soon as it gets written, and that the the entire team is on the same page as to whether um, as to the state of their code base. And it, it integrates uh, and so the, the second part of, of, um, of CI um, is continuous delivery. And, and that's where you you extend uh, your CI to, con- uh, to continuously deliver your software uh, to your customers by deploying it every time. Um, every time you write new
1: code, and every time the tests pass, brilliant. Now, I guess just to sort of put that in some sort of, in, in context of today's development world, because um, you know, obviously, I know how how important that is. But from a sort of a bird's eye view, you know, continuous integration stems from the whole concept of whenever you're building technology nowadays, it's important to to build it in small chunks and deliver. In small right. chunks, right? And, right. and so, you know, the, you know, the, this concept, you know, comes from things like lean and KZen, which, which originally were, right. were invented from the manufacturing industry. In fact, Toyota was, you know, the, you know the leader in this whole idea of you know building everything in small batches, and the reason you do that is because you you see problems really really early on in the whole development process.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so continuous integration is, is kind of the uh, the technology version or the the software version of of, of continuous improvement, and it, it's constantly making sure uh, you know doing things in in, in, in small sections um, and and testing them and validating them. Um, and it's it, it's a key part of of the lean startup it's 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 central to the whole agile movement um and and what you get to do basically is uh instead of of batching up hundreds of things which which may you know affect each other in in weird ways and, and where if something breaks you're you're not going to know the source of them uh or you're not going to know the cause of the breakage you, you you basically validate each thing one one step at a time um and and the uh the relationship to to continuous delivery there is particularly good a lot of people are, are kind of confused about why you would sort of think that it's unsafe to to ship their code um, to their customers ten times a day and the the kind of uh, the, the opposite of that of course is is shipping you know ten thousand changes uh, once a year or a thousand changes every every few months which is which is a, a much much uh less safe thing to do because there there could be so many things that that interact in unforeseen ways when they finally get in front of in front of people right exactly now just think you know if if
1: the healthcare website in in the US right. you know if that followed you know your methodology mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't be in the mess they're in today right
0: Right. The, the, there's an interesting uh, piece about this in the Washington Post, actually, where, where they talked about how healthcare.gov had, had followed basically a strict Waterfall model. And, and Waterfall is, is kind of this derogatory name applied for, for how people used to design software in the 70s, which is, you know, first we will, we will design it and then we will turn that into a spec. And then the, the engineers will, will turn that spec, you know, will follow the spec and, and literally crank out working perfect code that follows the spec exactly because the spec Anticipated everything you know that 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 might possibly go wrong, uh, and then we'll ship it to customers. Um, and it's it's pure madness, and it's it's exactly what what healthcare.gov did, and and the it's sort of the, the antithesis of the whole kind of agile movement, um, and and it's exactly why uh, continuous integration and this model of of sort of. Uh, moving quickly and continually testing what you're doing is so important. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I, I mean, you know, when I read all about that, I just thought it was completely amazing that, you know, in today's world where, you know, we've we kind of learned the lessons um, of huge projects, especially for, mm-hmm. for local governments, but even for, even right. in a private sector, historically, you know, whenever you talk to software, I remember like 10 years ago, whenever you talked about big software projects, they were guaranteed to be late. they were guaranteed right. to be buggy. They were guaranteed to be ten times over budget you know right. and you know software projects got a bad name because of that and because of the 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 whole waterfall right. method which which of course is all all we knew about then right
0: right right so the, i i think um I think that there's a problem in in how um Governments and 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 large corporations sort of design software, which is that they believe that it's easy to you know just well just spec it out and it'll just work, or um or or the idea that 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 you can do like a fixed cost bid and and understand what the uh, and you know give it to the lowest bidder or something like that. Um, it's I think that the these kind of cost overruns are are the inevitable result of the of the process that got them there. Um. Where there isn't, you know, people who who are experienced in building software this way, or, or or something like that, involved. It'd be like building a bridge and and not having, you know, an architect and an engineer being involved in deciding who's actually going to build your bridge. But that that's how software contracts are awarded today, um, in, in governments and and kind of um, um, large businesses, and it's it's it it's fundamentally flawed. Um, and one of the things that that you get from I don't want to sound like like I'm an agile zealot because I'm really not. But w- one of the one of the places that agile came out of was these consultants saying, you know, th- this model is is screwed up, and you know, th- there is a different way of doing it. There is a better way of doing it, and it, it involves continuous feedback and continuous contact with your clients and. You know, building small amounts, validating that it's the right thing, and then continuing on.
1: Brilliant. Now now we've got all the technical stuff out of the way. Tell me a bit about yourself. You know, what, what did you do before um, starting this project um, or you know, this, this company?
0: So um, just before I started Circle CircleCI, um, I was working as an engineer at Mozilla. Um, I, was, um, I was a compiler engineer, um, and I worked on the Firefox uh, JavaScript engine. And the reason, the reason that, that, that I started this, that I had been using Mozilla's um, continuous integration software, I used it basically every day. Yeah. Every time I wrote some code and I, pushed that, I tried to push that code out, it had to run through the continuous integration software. And it, it, just, it just wasn't a great product. It was, it was built by people whose, whose job it was to, to keep this huge infrastructure of like 2,000 computers up, and not people who worried about the, the day-to-day problems that I had. So I spent a year thinking, uh, if I was in charge, uh, I would do this differently. And then when, when I decided to leave Mozilla and, and, and start another company, um, this, this was the idea that had been in my head for, for the last
1: year. So basically, it came from you being at the sharp end, thinking right. there's got to be yeah. a better way of doing this.
0: Right. And right. It, it's kind of reflected a lot in the product and in the business. It's a very uh, developer-focused business, a business by developers for developers.
1: Right. Okay. And um, how did you get started? Did, did you go out to get funding, or you know, did you do it from your own pocket?
0: I was still working full time, um, and I was kind of building, building on the side, and, and trying to you know, trying to talk to customers. And, and the very very lean startup approach to do do kind of the customer development upfront, try to try to figure out you know what exactly did the market need? Would Would people even buy this? Um, and and was you know, f- figure out what what sort of version of of the software needed to be built for the customers that were out there. And while I was doing this um, I, I pitched a friend uh, who, who owned a software business and uh, Alan my, my co-founder, um, uh, who I didn't know at the time pitched, uh, pitched the same guy the, the same week and it was on, pitching exactly the same product. We started working together and it wasn't until maybe two months after that when we were just starting to get our, our first customers um that we got our um that we got our first investor um and uh, someone who who put in about fifty thousand um and before that and and a, and a lot after that as well we were we were working off savings until we raised our our first round um which was in uh december two thousand and uh twelve and that was one and a half million
1: so you pretty much so you have got your partner together you sort of mm-hmm. form the company, yeah, and, and then you managed to get kind of a, a, an angel investor.
0: Yeah, exactly, get... an angel investor of um, of fifty k, and that that took us through the um, uh, the kind of the early sort of uncertain parts of the business, the the ones where we we're, were trying to get product market fit, and we were we were very fortunate with the product that the market was ready for it. So so we had product market fit incredibly early. And I I see lots of entrepreneurs who who spend years trying to get product market fit. So I I know how fortunate we were. And so we we, we had our first so we started in September two thousand eleven. Had our first customers around January, um, and uh, and had them had our first paying customers in April uh, two thousand twelve. And then um, so we 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 had a lot of validation early on that we were building the right thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we had to adapt the product in a lot of ways based on, based on that feedback. Um, but it was, it was a very kind of customer-focused process.
1: You know, when you got the, the 1.8 million, how did you go out to the market, the investor community, to actually so, you know, ex- get interest in that?
0: I didn't really have any idea how to fundraise. Um, so when, when I started, I, I had done Y Combinator. Um, the year before, and it doesn't, it doesn't quite teach you how to fundraise, but it it gives you sort of an idea. And I had I had, I had a rough overview, but um, I didn't really know how, how to how to apply it. And and we we hadn't done very well when I was in um, Y Combinator with a previous company with our fundraise. Um, so what I did was was I started talking to um, a lot of entrepreneurs that I knew. So I'd moved to San Francisco. Um, I, you know, I I'd built out a, a bit of a network, and 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 people who were at the same stage, a little bit further on, a little bit behind, um, you know, just just friends. And I, I I went out and I, you know, sat down with all of them and said, look, here here's what we're trying to do. And and they they asked me lots of questions, and um, they they told me you know how exactly one goes about um fundraising, uh, and and basically the idea is uh you get introductions from entrepreneurs those entrepreneurs vet you uh, in effect and and spend a little bit of their social capital in making that introduction to the investors so when when i was talking to all these entrepreneurs i hadn't realized that i was actually doing the exact right thing you know convincing those people um to believe in us and, and it didn't it didn't you know we didn't convince everyone to believe in us some people thought it was a you know it was, it was silly or it wasn't going to be a big business and and some people um, you know, saw a big vision there, and and introduced us to investors, and and then that kind of um, that kind of continued. Investors introduced us to other investors, or or you know, had us talk to to some other entrepreneurs to vet us, and then those entrepreneurs introduced us on, and and that that went on kind of from from the end of August until uh, until kind of mid uh, mid November when we had uh, a handful of term sheets, and, and we picked from them and closed in December.
1: So you kind of like developed a network. Um, and then yeah. built upon that. So you've developed like a right. network of entrepreneurs. They they introduce them to you to some investors, and then you built on mm-hmm. that, and al- almost a almost a, a continuous cycle process, it, it, right? It
0: very much was. So and, you, when we went out with the to, to, to the early investors, we you know we, we we didn't have any any proof from other investors that, that this was investable. You know, no, no one had yet said i'm putting my money behind these guys, and, and that's very important for investors and i think it's it's you know, fairly straightforward to see why but then as we as we got further on, you know when we had let's say we had hundred k in, in in commitments and then we went to talk to some of the bigger investors they, they knew some of the investors who had committed already um, and and there's a lot of back channeling and investors talking amongst themselves um, so the, the, there's you know having that that early um, proof is, is very important for, for the, the larger guys and it kind yeah. of spirals and, and it continues.
1: The culmination of all that then, because of one, you had a product that was already kind of validated because you had customers right. coming on board.
0: You exactly, know, you we, had- we had around 50 customers at that point paying and we had uh, you know, a couple of thousand dollars of monthly revenue. So right. it, was, it, was, it was slightly validated, but you know, it, was, it was still very early stage.
1: Right. But enough to prove the concept works Absolutely, and there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a need in the market. Yeah. Um, you're providing a solution that people are paying money for. So then, you know, right. it, it's obvious then that you just need the money really, I guess, to scale, right?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we had to, you know, have a, have a good story around what we were building and, and a story as well around, you know, how we were going to spend the money, kind of how, uh, how this was going to be a billion dollar business. That that wasn't important for the for the small angels, but for the for the larger people, the people who are writing sort of half million dollar checks, um, they, they they wanted to, to see that there was a path to something that could be worth you know more than a hundred million dollars.
1: You're right, and and they want to do more than just throw money, don't right. they? They want you know, and also I think it's important from your perspective, no, to but when when you had that selection of term sheets. On your desk you know mm-hmm. it wasn't just probably and you maybe i should be asking you this but mm-hmm. you know what what was the criteria um you know when you had several offers on the table what was the criteria that you went through to right. to make your decision
0: so uh, a lot of it was um uh was looking at what what the investors would bring to the table um and what uh, what kind of expertise they could offer and and how they could guide us and and from our side it was also you know risk you you only get a small number of investors there's a lot of factors on uh, in, in which investor you want to bring in and it includes you know do, do they have the expertise to help you have they done this before and even such things as you know how does this reflect uh, on us choosing this investor so like if you, if you go and you choose kind of an unknown investor then it, it reflects kind of poorly on, on yourself. Um, for investors later down the line. Uh, we we definitely used the, the the terms that we were offered as um as a sort of a, a first pass filter that you know people who, who made you know sort of really low offers or that sort of thing obviously didn't see the value of the company and, and also um and also wouldn't be people that we'd want to be working with. But once once you got within the, the sort of sensible range, we, we didn't actually pick the best offer. Uh, we 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 picked the second best offer because we felt that, that they would be more valuable to the company. And in, in particular, the investors we picked were Heroku's investors. Um, and so they, they had grown a developer-facing company before Heroku had already sold a, 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 at the point that we were raising money. Um, and so the, you know, there was this company that had sold, you know, it was completely developer-facing, had sold for over $200 million. Um, and so we, we, we had people who who knew what was involved in that and would be able to guide us
1: where you're at today. Um, you know, how many customers paying customers have you got on board today?
0: All right. So, so we raised, uh, we raised 6 million from DFJ in our, in our series A financing. And we, we announced that we had, um, over a thousand customers and over a million a year in revenue.
1: So, you know, it's obviously really, really going well. Um, and you know, the, obviously the product market fit is excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, how are you doing your marketing?
0: So it, it, it it's funny actually because um what, one of the things that 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 really worked for us was not really focusing on marketing that much, um, and it it, it it sounds ridiculous, um, but once we got to about a hundred customers, the product sort of sold itself. Uh, developers referred other developers to it, and and like you can see it on Twitter, people say. You know what should I use for CI and and like three of our customers reply. You know, some people who know that that person and say, "Oh, you should definitely use Circle CI," and that started happening from once we got to about a hundred customers. And we 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 did some marketing experiments. We did some you know some some so, some content marketing and, and you know, writing blog posts, um, and you know, did some ads and that sort of thing. And and you know some of it was was kind of effective, but really you know. When, when, you, when we sat down and looked where have all of our customers come from, it was all referrals from existing customers.
1: Which is obviously the best lead, right? Without well,
0: it, it is, but I think it's also kind of in, indicative of, of how you build your business. We were focusing just a huge amount on, on the product um, and constantly making the product better and supporting new use cases. Um, and you know, CI is a very simple concept, but it's actually, you know, it's it's a platform and it's very, very broad um, in, in uh in how um, in how people use it uh, and so by spending all of that time on the product uh, it it meant that it worked and it meant that that people came in and just had this kind of delightful experience and were willing to to refer to other people as a result we didn't really spend that much time uh, on marketing we definitely Nothing systematic. So, so
1: what you've done then effectively is hit that sweet spot. So your customers are your evangelists.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, we we didn't build like a referral program to make this happen. It's it's not that we're against marketing uh, at all, and and in fact, we're we're kind of you know rebuilding some efforts at the moment. But, But what what we what we realized is that developers don't like to be marketed to. They don't like to be sold to. And so when you can still do things that that you know are traditionally marketing, um, but you ha- you have to make it clear to developers that, that you're doing it in a way that is authentic to them, and that is really building around the customer base instead of just you know hiring a VP of marketing and then hiring a VP of sales and, and putting a million dollars into AdWords or, or, or you know kind of uh, more traditional uh, marketing activities.
1: So something like content marketing would be ideal for that, right? So, were you delivering edu- absolutely? But if you edu- call it content
0: marketing, you're developing. Right. Are, yeah. 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 are going to hate. It. But yes, I mean, <laughs> um, blogging, um, saying things that are interesting, and as a result of saying things that are interesting, people come to know about your company and they come to know about your product, and then when they, you know, they realize that they need this product, um, and they and they try it, and then they have a wonderful experience, and then they tell their friends.
1: And you know, when when you're looking at your business model, mm-hmm. you're selling obviously to development communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you're selling a SaaS model. How did you decide on your pricing approach? Uh, and I guess a common answer to that is, well, you just split test. But I'd be interested to see, you know, how you decided what works and what doesn't work in terms of pricing methodologies.
0: So we, we I, I don't really think that you can split test um, pricing. Um, I, I I think that uh, that you really have to understand your customer and understand your market and and have a good long term vision um, of of how pricing um, takes you to the kind of revenues that, that 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 you're looking for. So one of the things about Circle is that the price point is very very low. Um, it's you know it's nineteen dollars for for you know, the that, that 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 that's kind of the starter package and will will. You know, a team of four could could easily do that. And they're getting way, way more than nineteen dollars worth of value. Like, I think it would be fair to say that they're probably getting, you know, possibly like a thousand dollars of value. Um, and we're charging nineteen dollars, and we could charge them fifty dollars, or we could charge them two hundred dollars, or or, or five hundred dollars. Uh, but whether or not we do that is really based on on, on what is our philosophy, and and our philosophy is um, is around getting adoption. It's around getting. Um, Getting a lot of people to use us, getting the entire market to use us, and so we're we're really happy to have that low price point, even though we could probably have like you know three times as much revenue if we if we jacked our prices up um, and what what we realize as well is, is that our our large customers are going to be the ones who bring in the vast majority of the revenue, mm-hmm. and that our small customers are um it, it's kind of like a freemium model that 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 is actually paid for. Um, so our, our small customers are, uh, are the people who tell, uh, who tell everyone else about it and all of our big customers all start out as small customers. So they'll sign up with like one team um, or one individual and they'll put nineteen dollars on, on a personal card um, and people who pay us like ten thousand dollars a month um, started with, with that model.
1: By having a really low entry point, you're getting the, the the individuals who are looking for the solution to take a risk almost on themselves and try it out, right? And right, then right. It's, they, it's they fall in love with them. it, right? So right. they fall in love with it and become the evangelist,
0: right, right, it. right. Um, but it's, it's it's expensive for a team to try out CI. Like you, you you need to you need to try it. You need to validate that it's that it's a good product, and then you need to uh, invite the rest of your team. And so you're spending some of your sort of um, uh your social capital i guess and in how in how your team believes in, in what you say by recommending that, that 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 people try us so you know adding big roadblocks in the way of you know you have to spend five hundred dollars a month to even try it out that, that that's kind of ridiculous but I, I think the point that i'm really making is that um there, there, there's no kind of one right way to approach pricing um you you have to really look at what what is the the kind of philosophy of how your company is going to grow and if we were trying to be like a bootstrapped company um we weren't uh we weren't you know growing or we weren't we weren't taking vc or something like that and and um that you know we we would probably have a very different pricing model if we didn't have especially if we didn't have the ability to, to hire just a lot of engineers to be able to to take on a lot of customers immediately and fix their problems so um
1: paul as a as an entrepreneur as well, what do you look for in terms of your inspiration you know who do you look up to do you follow any particular blogs or reading any books um, who do you sort of use as your sort of guidelines as, for growth as an entrepreneur?
0: What i found um amazing is um uh, is really kind of mentors and, and other entrepreneurs i know who who have who have been doing it and who 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 have sat down with me and and you know given me their their philosophy um and and that that that's the primary way that, that that i've grown um in terms of in terms of sort of things that um uh that that, that you can read i i think one of the one of the best resources i've ever I've ever had for, for learning about product uh, has been the Intercom blog um, which is uh, inside intercom.io I think, uh, or it could be.com. Um, but it, it's, it's, just, it's just an amazing resource for, for you know, how to think about product and how to think about, about delighting customers and, and how to communicate to customers and how, you know, all, all, all those sort of things has, has been amazing there's a lot of kind of uh, industry blogs that I read like Fred Wilson's blog uh, ha, 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 has been very good. Uh, a couple of VCs, um, B- Ben Horwitz has had has had amazing stories, and obviously I read everything that Paul Graham wrote.
1: And so, any um, any sort of parting words of of wisdom or inspiration to you know to my tribe of software entrepreneurs who who are either bootstrapping themselves or or looking to get funding.
0: I think that the the most important thing is really being able to show uh, to, to either to customers or, or or to investors depending on, on on which track you're going that you just have have an amazing product um, really focus incredibly hard on the product make sure that make sure you listen to your customers make make sure you do you know the, or make sure you solve their problems you don't need to do directly what they're telling you, but solve their problems and delight them and then w- w- without that base, I think it, it, it's very, very difficult to to accomplish anything, but with that base you can kind of build anything.
1: Paul, really appreciate you coming on the show and um, you know taking time out of your busy schedule today. I appreciate you having me on. If you enjoyed the show, you can get the show notes from disruptware.com. And if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this on the iTunes store, then please visit disruptware.com and sign up. That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford and thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.